Grace. Welcome to Speak and Destroy, episode 34. Speak and Destroy is a podcast about all things Metallica. I'm your host, Ryan J. Downey. My guest this episode is David Davidson, frontman for Revocation. Educated at the Berklee College of Music, Davidson is an accomplished player with a love of jazz, thrash, and death metal, all evident in Revocation sound. Back in 2013, the Boston-based band released a ripping cover of Dyer's Eve, the closing track from And Justice for All. So naturally, I knew David had to be a fan. So here it is, my conversation with David Davidson of Revocation. This is Speak and Destroy. your background growing up and uh, you know uh, two parents single parent uh, and kind of what was your first introduction to music what were some of the songs you heard around the house or with relatives or you know how did that all kick off for you my mom was a single mom uh i forget when my my dad came into the picture but i was like uh i don't know i was i was like a young young kid um I don't really remember like too much music like in the house other than just like, you know, stuff that I would like pick up from like, I don't know, like watching like movies and stuff like that. You know what I mean? Or like, um, you know, and then I, I eventually got into like listening to the radio and stuff like that. And I, w I would just be, I don't know, listening to whatever, like the, the jamming 94.5, you know, whatever, like hit radio uh station was was on that my my mom would uh would play in the car or whatever mm -hmm. um i mean i remember like liking music as a kid but it never really like grabbed me like in a way that like i guess it made me um, like want to be a musician and then i forget how old i was but it was probably right around um when, whenever that weird al yankovic record came out that was like uh, with amish paradise on it <laughs> yes um, yes i remember like just thinking that was like the funniest can i swear in this podcast by the way absolutely just, yeah i thought it was the funniest fucking thing ever as like a little kid and uh, i became like um really into like weird al and i mean i still think weird al is awesome i think he's Me too. hilarious and, he, and he's insanely um, talented that was uh, i just looked that up yeah. that was that was 96 which is about almost to the year um a decade after i fell in love with weird al <laughs> when he was doing you know eat it and uh right, right. fat and addicted to spuds and mm -hmm. and yeah yeah no I, I i did a deep dive on his whole on his whole discography like as a kid i got like i mean this was back when like uh like i had like cassettes and stuff like that so i was like i was buying all his tapes and then i think i yeah. eventually like i hit to cds and i like started buying everything he had on cd so yeah he did a thing that i had on vhs for a long time where uh he would do like a fake takeover of MTV called Al TV. And it was like, you know, the, the, the premise was that, you know, he had hacked into MTV uh, with his like pirate TV station and it was all just, you know, crappy and bootleggy and <laughs> like an Al TV logo that looked like the MTV logo. And he had like Dr. Demento on and just, you know, it was like super hilarious. I bet it's probably all over YouTube, but I used to tape that, um, 
with the VCR and rewatch it endlessly. That's awesome. Yeah, I remember watching those as, as a kid too. Like when I was when I was really like in my my obsessive weird alphas. I saw him at like the Cape Cod Melody Tent or whatever, uh, which is like this like kind of I don't know, giant giant tent. Uh, but they'd have like like Willie Nelson would play there and stuff like that. But yeah, I remember seeing Weird Al. That was like my like my first like I don't know like real concert that I kind of that really is remember. awesome. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then from there, like after that, like I think I was around because this was probably like maybe a year, a couple of years later, right around that same time. Um, Nine Lives from Aerosmith came out, and then that was like the the big hit for me. So before I was like, I, you know, really into like Weird Al's music, but then like I didn't want to like really like play guitar, or, you know. He didn't inspire me to pick up like an accordion or anything like that. Um, yeah, but and I there, saw the... there's a great uh, not not to cut you off, but there's a great Brian Posehn bit where he talks about uh, being a new dad, and he was like, I, I've decided what I'm going to do with my kid is I'm only going to play him Weird Al versions of songs. So someday he'll grow up and he'll hear the real version and he'll be like, what, what is this? It's like Weird Al song, but it's not funny. Right, 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 right. <laughs> so, yeah, so I love that that was your gateway. Yeah. Right, right. Um, but yeah, I remember Smith. seeing, I remember seeing, you look know, back when MTV still played like music videos and stuff like that. Um, it was like they had like the, the falling in love is hard in the knees music video from Aerosmith. And I just remember like Joe Perry with like the, you know, the Les Paul, it was probably like some cool, like smoke, you know, he was just like, you know, ripping this solo. And, um, I like, I think like I asked my mom to like go out and get me like a guitar, like the very next day. Um, so the toxic yes. twins. Yeah. The toxic twins. Yes. You know, Steven Tyler and, uh, and Joe Perry. And like, yeah. And, and then I really just became like obsessed with Aerosmith for several years, um, where I would just be like, you know, playing guitar all the time, trying to learn their songs, like just trying to like solo, over their songs and try to like just just put their records on and i would just be like happy for like hours on end just like listening to that stuff and it, and it really had a, a major effect on me and then and then i just kind of kept getting i think into like harder and harder stuff so like after that was like a real big obsession with like guns and roses for me like i was like totally enamored with like slashes playing on his whole swagger to his style so definitely tried to learn a lot of his stuff. And then after that, it was like Pantera. And then that was like my like, you know, real kind of no coming back, like uh, descent <laughs> yeah. into to metal. You became a lifer at that point. Yeah. Um, yeah. How much of the Aerosmith thing was tied into hometown heroes? Because obviously they're from Boston and that's a big uh, part of their identity. Yeah. You know, I don't know. I don't really know if any of it was. I think it just like grabbed me i mean maybe somewhere like on this like you know surface level it was like cool that they were from boston but like like i don't like give a shit about like sports really like you know like i'll get sucked into like playoffs or like super bowl or something like that because like you know with the patriots or whatever but like i'm not like i don't have this like immense sense of like you know like boston like pride when it comes to like certain like institutions like i like boston for like my own reasons and like you know because i grew up there and there's like certain things that are nostalgic about it for me but i don't know i guess i was never one to like just like drink the kool-aid because like that's like what all like the cool kids are doing or like that's what you should be listening to or what you should be into because you're from a certain um you know place or whatever i don't know i just i just never like that never like had a had a real hold on me that kind of thinking i guess so you're not just watching um, Goodwill Hunting on a loop with shipping <laughs> off to Boston on in the background. <laughs> right, 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 right. Yeah, and I'm just like, 
yeah, I got like all the the, the, the Boston sports. I, I wish I was more into sports because like Boston is such like has so many like dynasties. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like with Celtics and Red Sox and this and that. Like I said, I'll get I'll get like sucked in once in a while, but like I just I don't know, it just never really never really grabbed me, I guess. So I yeah. think that was sort of the same thing with Aerosmith. Like the music was what spoke to me and then like it was like, Oh, they're from Boston. Like, oh, okay, cool. You know? It was like I guess like a little side bonus. Yeah, I have a friend who uh, made it his mission in the last, like, two years to get me into professional sports uh, because, uh -huh. yeah, I, I, that's just a – it just never uh, just never connected with me as a kid, and it's like I miss whatever that window is where you fall in love with it and um, right. just continue to never care about it. And uh, <laughs> I, I realized – actually, someone else realized this and pointed it out to me, and then I've been aware of it ever since – I'll know who a professional athlete is if they're famous for something else. So, like, I know who Michael Vick is because I know about the dog abuse, but I couldn't tell you, like, who he played for or let alone what position, you know? Like, right, obviously right. I know, obviously, I know, like, Michael Jordan, like, Kobe Bryant, and pe people that have done something that's transcended their sport. But, um, but yeah, I've gotten – I was even in a fantasy football league last time which was uh, hilarious uh, given everything <laughs> i just explained to you you can imagine right. and uh yeah um the singer for steel panther was in the league i was in and that just that was the most exciting part about it to me <laughs> so, oh yeah i love steel panther <laughs> um but yeah i you know i grew up in indiana and a similar thing to you where you know it was always kind of interesting and cool to find out that you know like kurt lonnegut or david letterman Axl Rose and Izzy Stradlin, you know, knowing that they were from Indiana, but there wasn't any like, you know, I wasn't like, oh, I love John Cougar Mellencamp because he's our guy, <laughs> you know, right. like I didn't really have that, you know, I'm not into basketball. That's like a, and, and, and like you, like, I kind of wish I was because that, you know, IndyCar racing and, and college basketball, that's like Indiana, you know, through and through. Yeah. It just never yeah. was like, neither one, you know, I went to the Indy 500 once or twice and, but, uh, you know. I couldn't name more than two or three race car drivers to this day. You know? Right, right. Yeah, um, so many of my friends are like are diehard sports fans, obviously. So yeah. like, you know, like I, I see their uh, enthusiasm, and I, I wish I, I wish I had that. Like, you know, dudes like jumping up and down, like hugging each other, like high fiving, like on on the verge of like, you know, tears or like an orgasm, basically. And I'm like, man, I, I don't know. It just doesn't. I, I wish I, I had that that. Um, that response to it because it, it, it seems like it's like a you know a lot of fun but and it wasn't for lack of trying you know my my grandpa would like take me to like baseball games and shit like that they even put me up on like the big screen one day because he knew like the guy who like worked in like higher up there and like i think like like fifth inning i was like grandpa let's get out of here i'm like so bored <laughs> you're like it's cool hanging out with my grandpa much cooler than seeing this game yeah 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 yeah, yeah I, uh, I i it's also interesting to me you know as an adult um encountering so many people from the world of extreme metal that are super into sports because I always, you know, having that mix of a metal and a punk background, I always thought like sports aren't punk, you know, and then I'm amazed by how many like punk legends and like metal dudes are like super into it, which is kind of, right. you know, it, it also gives me a different perspective on it. I actually, this friend of mine who's been trying to get me into football has really, you know, he's a, uh, he's from Cincinnati originally and his big team is, uh, you know, the Cincinnati Bengals, who apparently are really terrible and kind of historically always terrible. And he, so he's given me kind of the punk rock spin on, like, what it's like to be a fan of a terrible team. Right. Um, you know, all the odds against you and all that. So, yeah, I, I can see that. And, and you know, and this brings us – it dovetails nicely with this podcast because something that I 
realized where I finally kind of understood that enthusiasm and that euphoria and that sense of community that you were describing just now that people get around sporting events and teams. I realized that that's the way I and, and certain other friends of mine talk about Metallica, <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. the way that it's like, you know, you, you debate back and forth about this era or this lineup or um, this tour or this, you know, this haircut or, you know, whatever it is. Um, right. And I realized, like, oh, that's when people were like, I love the Chicago Bears, but I mean the, like, 1980-whatever when it was, like, so-and-so and the coach was so-and-so. Like, um, that's the way that people talk about Metallica that are that are fans, you know. And it's always, a, it's always an event when they put out a record, even for people that, you know, stop listening to them for whatever reason or, or even people that are haters. Like, they're always aware that there's something new out and they have an opinion about it. Um, right. And, uh, yeah, and then I was finally like, oh, now I get loving a sports team. <laughs> <laughs> now I get it, you know, especially right. especially when you see people that, like, love a, love but seem to hate a team. It's like, oh, I see. <laughs> when it's like, you know, you talk to people and they're like, I love Metallica, and then they say, like, ten terrible things. You're like, uh, okay, <laughs> I, 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 th I think I know what you mean. Uh, so where did that – enter in for you you know it was aerosmith guns and roses pantera where did metallica cross your path uh it, it was right around that like when I, my first introduction to i feel like guns and roses because they did that that tour together or mm -hmm. whatever um I, I didn't see the tour but you know i was just going back through like you know the history of everything and i, I really like to kind of go and like research things when i'm when i'm passionate about them so yeah i was getting into metallica probably like right around the time that i was you know it getting into like in that transitionary period between like Guns N' Roses and like Pantera or whatever. Right. Um, and yeah, I mean, I, I remember, uh, I'm trying to think of the first record I got from them. I can't, I can't remember. It might've been like the black album or something like that, but, um, you know, pretty quickly I like, you know, went through their whole discography and, and you know, picked up all the albums. And, um, I mean, for, for me as a, as a, musician like today i think my favorite record from them is is definitely injustice for all that one's just like the like the meanest like most pissed record and like i don't know i think i think mu musically on that they're like they're, they're really doing some some different shit on that one so that one still kind of is like i know it's like controversial but like i just i love injustice for all so much well and i can see how that record really um correlates with what revocation does um not to say that you have super cold recordings without bass sound on them. But, <laughs> <laughs> but, um, but in terms of the, uh, yeah, the sheer sort of brutality, the technical prowess, the, uh, the almost symphonic sort of orchestral arrangements of how those songs are put together. Uh, because there's some bands that, that will do a nine minute song with a million riffs in it that just sounds like a million riffs. Um, right. and to me, the songs on Injustice for All, it, it, they're, no matter how sprawling they are and how much is happening, they're cohesive. Like I, I feel like there's a there's a theme and a connectivity that runs through not only each song but even that whole album as a cohesive singular kind of statement. Um, and it's interesting, you know, you mentioned it being a controversial record because uh, you know I've I've found that, and I love that you went backwards and that you do that with things that you love. I'm the same way. Um, I found that generationally, like people sort of cling to one era or one record based on who and where they were when they discovered something, you know? Right. So 
um, finding out that people that are, uh, you know, I'm, I'm a little bit older than you, and then people that are a little bit older than me that dropped off on Ride the Lightning because it had a ballad on it. You know, and it's right. like that, that's mind-blowing to you or me. Um, but it's it makes sense then when you find people that, uh, you know, Justice is like the record for them. And they're and they talk to people that are like they haven't made a good album since Master of Puppets, you know. Right, and, right, right. And then you uh, meet people, you realize that Load is more than twenty years old now, you know. So there's people that uh, discovered the band when Load was already like an older record. Right. Yeah, so, like like Load is like old school Metallica to them. Yeah, totally. Um, so yeah, so I yeah I don't begrudge you uh, loving Justice at all. I I, I love it too, and I, I actually discovered the band in that weird window of time in between master of puppets and, and justice for all so like garage days was actually the current release um, oh, damn. so i you know i was uh my, my friend and i went and bought justice on street date on cassette and i remember at the time um you know uh, my other metalhead friends at my lunch table were like the whole album's slow. <laughs> the only, the last song is the only you know the first and the last song are the only fast songs, and that was like you know just kind of emblematic of you know you mentioned kind of that uh, almost Metallica being this midway point for you between Guns N' Roses and Pantera. It's similar how uh, at the time people had gotten into metal largely through Metallica, people that I knew, and then were. Um, getting into things that were more and more extreme and faster and heavier. And, um, you know, it wasn't long after that, that people in my friend group discovered death and morbid angel and deicide and all that sort of stuff. And it was like right. the, the thrash bands suddenly weren't, um, extreme enough, you know, but then I found that a lot of those same friends eventually come back around, you know, and I think it's probably the same way that the early thrash guys, um, if you interview them or talk to them now, um, they still love Led Zeppelin and Thin Lizzy and, you know, all, all the stuff that wasn't like tough enough for them at the time, you know, but, but, uh, they've come back around to as a more kind of well-rounded person. So I, you know, I loved justice, um, pretty much from the jump and then grew to love it even more in the intervening years. And, and that's another thing, like much like sports where, you know, you can go on YouTube and find like, and justice for Jason, where somebody's like, you know, remix the bass or added bass or, uh, you know, there's always all these different kind of takes and conversations about it um i love that you guys covered dyer's eve not only because it's my favorite song on that record um it's also with the exception of maybe and justice for all the title track because it's so long i feel like dyer's eve is the most ambitious song for a band to tackle um because it's kind of the most crazy and technical and has all those you know polyrhythmic kind of like wild stops and starts and you know before before any of us knew about Mashuga, it was you know that that song was like breakneck stops and starts and all that um yeah i had like just like ripping like double bass on it too um yeah no i mean I, I, it was cool like like to to close a record with such like a ripping song um that that was also like really inspiring to me like as a kid like listening to that record it's like you know yeah normally you think like okay the record's like winding down or this or that but yeah they just like kicked it into like high gear to like close out the the record um yeah that was like a like a, a, a big 
you know that 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 record in general was a big influence on me. But yeah, that that last song just always um, always grabbed me as a kid. And when we were talking about doing you know what song we were going to cover uh, for the self title, I believe it was on. Um, I think I brought that up and. and uh, Dan, the other guitar player in the band, is like also like a huge Metallica fan, and he was like, "Oh yeah, dude, like Dire Z, like that's the one." So I think it's funny, like for like the 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 riffers out there, like that's just like one of those songs that like just like grabs people like across the board if you're if you're a guitar player or even a drummer, just because it's just so breakneck pace. Yeah, and I, I, something I've noticed over the years, uh, I love how Master of Puppets and Androsis for All are basically patterned after one another sequencing wise and ride the lightning a little bit too although there's a, a couple of differences but um with puppets and justice they both start with a fast song you know they both end with a fast song they're, they're bookended by these ragers they each have the title track is track two they each have the ballad is track four they each have an instrumental in kind of the same place like um it's interesting to me how that happened and that's actually something i've always wanted to ask them about um it's, it's sort of if that was happenstance or if that was you know if they set out with a blueprint to right. kind of structure it that way you know you, you know was it an accident the first time and on purpose the second time was it on purpose both times you know right um right. but yeah like you said it's such a uh exciting way to wrap up a record um and the way yeah and the way it fades out from just as you're mellowing out with <laughs> to live is to die and then just right. cuts in so killer um what were some of the challenges as a, a musician to uh, kind of reverse engineering that song and unpacking all of it and getting your, cause you know, you guys were sort of universally praised in the extreme metal press for how good that cover was, which is not always the case, especially when covering such a classic band. Yeah. I mean, that's, I think that was like the biggest challenge is like, you know, if you're going to cover something like you want to, you want to do it justice, right. For lack of a better um, word. And, Metallica being like the most iconic metal band of all time, like, and, and that's the thing, like, you're never gonna get more iconic than them, right? Because just the way with the industry's changed and this and that, like, they will forever go down in history as the biggest metal band of all time, For past, sure. present, future. You know what I mean? For they, sure. they, they just, I can comfortably say, like, they have that that crown. Um, even, so you know, even, and, and, even and, Hardwired like, went platinum when like the Foo Fighters can't go platinum. <laughs> right, <laughs> you know? right, yeah. right, exactly. So it's just, they just have the fan base. It's been around. They've been an institution. It's like, it's a fucking, you know, like brand at this point, right? You know, like they're, they're, they're still filling like stadiums and shit like that. So, and like you were saying earlier, everyone has their opinion when a band gets that big and there's so many different people that came, came to the table, like a different, uh, parts of Metallica's career, you know, like they've, they've kind of consistently had like a fan base, like, like black album will still like randomly chart on the billboard, you know, <laughs> yep. album charts, like, you know, just like, it's crazy. So, <clears throat> you know, we knew, we knew we were going to be kind of like under the microscope with that cover, but we all felt really confident. It was, it was cool for me because that's like actually the first song that I've ever sung like all the way through. So that wow. was kind of a fun challenge to try to, um, you know, dial in my inner het field there and, and, and try to deliver it, you know, with my own, my own voice and my own tone, but also like trying to sort of replicate, um, Hetfield's voice as well. Um, 
I mean, but everything else like went pretty smooth. I mean, we, we always go into the studio like very prepared. It's not like, you know, we were kind of like kicking around like we needed an extra song and we we're like, oh, let's do this. And we like slapped it together really quick. So like we rehearsed it. And um, I know for me, as far as like even the solo, I, um, I, was, I was starting to write my own solo over that, um, you know, over, over the solo section. And I just like I just kept hearing. Kurt Hammett's lines. I mean, I think Kurt Hammett's like a great guitar player. Uh, I think sometimes he gets like, you know, a bad rap. Like you were saying, everyone's got an opinion and people can be haters about like, you know, his his style or this or that. But like, I mean, especially on Injustice for All, his his solos were like just so ripping and like so unique. And I feel like he really kind of like pushed himself um, extra hard on that one. So like when, when I was trying to come up with my own lines, I just like kept hearing Kirk's uh, lead in the back of my mind and i'm like you know what like rather than like try to like do this original spin on the solo session like let me try to play it like as close to the way kirk played it um for the most part there's a couple little things that i changed here and there or just like added in um you know like to, just to just to kind of add my own flair but but for the most part i tr i tried to keep the solo like uh to a t like how how kirk played it so that was also a cool um, you know, challenge to try to really sort of like emulate it and and, and do it uh, do it justice. And you've uh, <laughs> I like how you brought it back around there. Um, and you're kind of following in the tradition of Metallica because you know the Merciful Fate medley, uh, twelve minutes of Merciful Fate classics. Uh, Kirk kind of does the same thing with those solos. You know, yep. where it's like they're they're familiar and sort of patterned after the originals, but it also but it, he's also doing something new and unique to him with a, you know, a twist on it. So that's cool. And I, I feel like they really even set the stage in metal to where revocation can cover Metallica and nobody bats an eye uh, because Metallica really uh, pushed and encouraged this idea of paying it forward to your influences and putting it out there and making people aware of the stuff that fed into what your band became like, you know, rather than pretending that you're, brilliant artistry exists in a vacuum <laughs> like kind of right, acknowledging right. you know the building blocks of what came before i've always loved that they made that so acceptable yeah i mean i i can say like you know whether it was consciously or subconsciously like metallica more so than any other band you know probably influenced us to 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 want to do covers you know what i mean like yeah right. because of, you know garage days and like on like different on, on on different you know vhs's that i had i had like cunning stunts back in the day and like you know they were doing like uh am i evil or whatever and i was like oh man this is so cool they're like they're putting their own you know mark on like these 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 songs that influence them and then in turn like you know you're you're, you're turning on like a whole bunch of uh people to i mean like if it weren't for metallica i doubt like that many people would know about like diamond head you know what i mean oh, like for sure but, um like and, and those guys always uh you know i had brian tatler from diamond head on the show a while back and you know whether it's diamond head merciful fate or you know the more obscure bands like you know budgie and killing time and uh you know they uh they acknowledge and are super grateful for um you know the notoriety and, and additional sort of acclaim and recognition that that's provided them and frankly the financial side of it um, right, right. You know, I, I, I talked to Animal from Anti Nowhere League, and around the time that Metallica did that Anti Nowhere League song, um, he had kind of quit music and was, you know, working in like the family construction business. And right. that comes back around, and then in like 92, he's on stage at Wembley singing it with them. And 
Um, right. Anti Nowhere League's been back together and putting out records and touring ever since. <laughs> you know, yeah, like, yeah, no, it's crazy, and it's it's kind of cool because it's like you know I'm just sort of thinking about some of this stuff now, but like, as we're talking, but you know the 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 trend in in metal you know music to kind of like you know rep some of the more like obscure bands and stuff like that it's like oh like okay you've heard of this guy but like you know check this out and really kind of like dig deep into like the history of this or that like that's sort of like a badge of of honor you know what i mean in in the metal scene and i think metallica really kind of like paved the way for that it's cool because they got big so quick and they were like i mean i I know they grinded it out for a long time like in in the scene but like i mean they really kind of skyrocketed to 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 start them like across the board so it's cool that they still wanted to have that like underground edge and like and 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 pay it forward like that and i think it's been kind of like part of the fabric of metal ever since then to like you know it's it's cool to like the underground band or to rep the underground band you know in in the scene and i think maybe a lot of that has to do with just metallica themselves like being so out in front of that dude totally i have a Misfits tattoo. I used to sing in a Misfits tribute band with some friends of mine, and I discovered the Misfits and Sam Hain through Metallica constantly wearing those shirts right. <laughs> in the mid to late eighties. Like you know, the shirts just look so cool. The iconography, the imagery was so rad, and those yeah. guys repped it so hard. And it, you know, and I've I've told David Elveson this, but um, I got into the Dead Kennedys because David Elveson had a Dead Kennedy sticker on this like iconic Fender that he yeah. played. Yeah, like. Yeah. Uh, you know, and that stuff, that stuff matters. You know, you don't necessarily realize it when you're in a band and you're doing your thing and grinding out, but um, how much something seemingly so insignificant as a patch on your vest or something, um, how much that can influence uh, generations coming up behind you. Yeah, no, for sure. For sure. So it's, uh, it, it's crazy to think about like the trajectories of different bands, like, and, and, and how the whole kind of scene can kind of, um, you know, help prop up different bands, like you said, just because someone's got a sticker on their on the bass or something. You know, when was the first time you got to see Metallica live, or have you? I've seen Metallica. Yeah, it was. Um, it was at like Gillette Stadium. I think they were on tour with like like Corn and maybe like Kid Rock or something. A uh, summer sanitarium tour. Yes. Yeah. Exactly. And I remember. Um, yeah, the summer sanitarium shirt was so cool. It was like, uh, you know, it had that 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 pus head artwork, and it was like these like weird little like fetal like skeletons all like bandaged up. Um, yeah, that was um, Metallica, Corn, Kid Rock, Power Man, Five Thousand, and in, oh yeah, and in the opening slot, System of a Down. <laughs> okay, yeah, yeah, crazy, right? Yeah, I remember, and it was like, it was such a huge. Um, huge turnout it was my first time at like a big like open air thing like that um because i'd seen aerosmith before but they weren't doing like an open air it was more like maybe like at the garden or something like that so it was like kind of closed in this was like you know you get there and it's like the whole thing of like you know it's it's like summertime it's like heavy metal parking lot there's people like and i wasn't like obviously like old enough to drink or anything like that at that point but like you know everyone's just like having a good time and it was just like this weird like oh man i'm in this like crazy just like circus or something like that, where there's just like so many people like raging. And uh, I don't know, it was, it was really um, that that sort of feeling, that rush was like really like addicting as a kid. I think it was like I went crowd surfing for the first time at that show and like, you know, it was like in the pit and stuff like that. It was, it was, uh, it was, you know, super intense. It was just like a young, impressionable 
teen to like just see these like fucking metal gods on stage just like you know top of their prime just like ripping it foxborough stadium does that sound familiar yes yes yeah yeah uh june 30th 2000 You've got your your 19th anniversary of going to that show is coming up in a month <laughs> damn damn i'll have to i'll have to put on some metallica <laughs> hell yeah yeah and one of the things that's so amazing about them to me one of the many things is how they can command obviously a venue that size and and top lineup that formidable you know that you know talk about the the prime of their power i mean obviously systems coming up there and and corn was at their sort of commercial peak yeah you know maybe a couple years ahead of it and uh, and yet you know metallic is still like the clear band boss of <laughs> that situation and right. then they can still um you know do these fun things where they uh you know go into a thousand seat club and do a surprise set or whatever or uh you know a couple years ago at the festival they curated uh ryan music um they did a surprise set in the middle of the day like two in the afternoon on the small stage where they did kill them all start to finish under a under a fake band name and um you know it's just as gnarly and rad as <laughs> you know seeing them at the rose bowl in pasadena you know right, right. um it's pretty amazing. Well, they're smart you know what i mean i, I think it's I, I think bands when they get that big they kind of get into like like a formula, you know what I mean? Um, and it, it's like, okay, we're going to do this and that. And it's like, it, it all kind of follows a certain uh, chain of command, but it, I don't know, at least it, it, you know, maybe this is like calculated on their part. I'm not sure, but it, it, it certainly feels like they, they kind of are flying by the seat of their pants a little bit and like are, are, are always open to like, you know, cool things like, like the surprise shows you were talking about. I mean, and it would, must be so cool for them just to be like, you know, fuck it. Let's just like call ourselves this random band and just, fucking go out there like midday and play all of kill em all like that's like that's the kind of shit that's like so cool and i feel like continues to get people like like keep people interested in yes. metallica because yeah. they're not afraid to like you know do shit like that where it's like oh we're gonna like dig back into this old record and like you know you, it, like the, the the idea of the headliner right like you know you want to be on the main stage you know at the perfect time slot when everyone's there so it's cool that they um they don't take themselves like so seriously and they're willing to go out there like, you know, while the sun's still up and just play on the small stage just for like shits and giggles and like just to see what happens. <laughs> yeah. And then that in turn, you know, it's just so smart because that in turn might make more news than the than them playing on the main stage. You know what I mean? As totally. far as like, just how like press works and stuff like that. So it's actually quite clever, but it's also just like, you know, I, I'm not sure if they're thinking about it as like this business move or it's just like, you know just like they're having fun. I like to think of it as the latter, but like either way it, it, it works for the band. So it's, it's, it's cool. Yeah. It's getting to have your cake and eat it too in that sense. <laughs> it's just a, yeah. It's just for fun, but then it also serves this overarching marketing purpose. If you want it to, it's like a right, right, residual yeah. benefit. Yeah. Totally. Right. So many metal websites probably picked up on that and, you know, people losing their minds on social media, like, Oh my God, they're doing a surprise set. And then all of a sudden it's like, you know, trending uh, or whatever. So it's, it's a, uh, it's, it's really it's really cool to, to see a band that's willing to take those those risks, and it, and it seems like they they continue to pay off. I mean, you know, they probably had some missteps here and there, I'm sure, but like, you know, in general, it seems like they're they're just always like, they're just always at the top. They've never like, they've never slipped, and no one's like overtaken their their uh, their throne or whatever. You know, as far yeah. as like popularity that I can. Just just crazy in and of itself. What a testament that is. Yeah. Yeah. Um. Have you had a chance to see them since then? Um, 
I can't remember if I have to be honest with you, just because like you know, there's so many like tours and this and that. Like I don't, I don't think we've ever done anything where they've. Yeah, I was gonna say I, I wouldn't be surprised if you were on the same festival at some point. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't, I don't think so. Unfortunately, um, I think that might have been the only time. Now that I'm really, really thinking about it. Um, yeah, I think that was, I think that was my one and only time. I'll have to go back and go back and see him again though now that we're we're talking about this next time they come through i'm, I'm like I'm, okay. I'm actually curious like you know you, you always wonder like how long a band is going to stay in the game too like when that when they when they start getting up there you know what i mean just totally. like i mean obviously like, they don't need the money right you know it's like they're doing it because they still love it and like you know it's like it's probably you know it's like all they know right but it's um it's interesting to to to, to see because they're really the guinea pigs for that you know like how yes. long can you play you know, extreme. Can you play that fast, do that to your voice, do that, you know, whether it's, you know, Lars on his shoulder or <laughs> just headbang, yeah. you know what I mean? Like I'm, like, I'm a big fan of like, like, like jazz, um, in addition to like metal. And like, you know, it's always sick when I see like, you know, a dude who's like in his eighties getting up there, but it's like, you know, it's, it's a different toll that it takes on your, on your body. Like, you know, they're not up there like headbanging and like running around the stage. Like, you know, they're, they're, they're pretty stationary. It's more of like a mental thing and like a very fine, like a motor skill thing, um, which in and of itself is impressive. But like, yeah, I mean, like, are, are you going to have like thrash metal bands and death metal bands that can like do it until they're like their seventies and their eighties and their nineties? And, and will anyone even want to see it at that point? You know what I mean? Because it's yeah. like such a young man's game. So it's, it's interesting to, uh, to see because they're the, they're really the guinea pigs, like you said. I mean, it, pigs, yeah. it, it's interesting because, uh, you know, yeah, like I like a lot of uh, traditional country, and I had an opportunity in recent years to see some guys like Merle Haggard and Ray Price, and you know, before they passed away, I saw little Jimmy Dickens, who was like almost, I, you know, I think he was like ninety-five when he died. Um, you know, I saw Damn. I saw him in his nineties, and. Again, though, like you said, like what little Jimmy Dickens was doing at 90 is a far cry from what Metallica was doing at 20 in terms of the physical toll. Uh, and, you know, as, as Hetfield pointed out in an interview I saw once, uh, three out of four frontmen from the big four have had neck surgery. <laughs> Tom, Tom Araya from Slayer, Dave Mustaine, and James Hetfield have all had their necks operated on. Damn. Um and it's like, yeah, that to your point, that's kind of, you know, um, they're all like the first to see like, okay, what does several decades of banging your head every night do to your neck? Right. Um, apparently, apparently not, not anything good. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's, uh, it will be interesting to see, you know, especially now that, uh, you know, Slayer's talking about retiring. And of course we all, you know, we saw Judas Priest retire, you know, Ozzy's doing his no more tours too. <laughs> like it, you know, it's become... <laughs> A little bit of a joke, you know. We're all kind of wondering right. when Motley Crue is going to actually come back, and right. Um, right. But with that being said, um, you know there is going to be the inevitability of, of time, and and yeah, you know Paul McCartney's still doing it, uh, the Stones are still doing it, but again, it's yeah, getting up and playing Blackbird is <laughs> a lot different than getting up and playing Dyer's Eve. Yeah, and maybe they'll just be able to go until you know until the wheels fall off. You know what I mean? But it's 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 an interesting thing to kind of kind of watch as a fan and just you know as i'm getting a little bit older too you know exactly. what i mean like yeah so we're growing up with them yeah right right you know what i mean you're like oh man sometimes like i get like a bang over like after getting off stage sometimes like i, I wonder what it's like you know 20 years from now you know yeah i mean it's great to see like, um 
you know, I, I have I have two kids, and uh, you know, I've shown them uh, some Iron Maiden concert film stuff, and it's like, you know, those guys are older than Metallica, and to see the kind of the athleticism of Yannick Gears and Bruce Dickinson, like literally sprinting across these giant stages and stuff, like yeah, that that, that definitely gives you some hope. Um, yeah, I, mean, I think it's all in how you take care of yourself. You know what I mean? At the end of the yes. day, like you know, but but I think I I guess the um, the thing to keep in mind is like. You, you probably have to treat yourself like an athlete at that point. You know what I mean? So it's like, right? right it, the the right. whole, you know, the the initial, um, some sometimes the initial lore of like rock and roll is like you know the partying and the sex and the drugs and like all that stuff. But like, yeah, I mean, if you want to be doing it like into your forties, fifties, sixties, seventies, like you probably have to like, you know, slowly start to like shed that you know every every year that you you kind of you kind of get up there because it's like there's there's just no way you're going to be able to like go out there and like operate and function like you know on like motley crew levels of like partying when you're like in your fucking 60s you know yeah and also it, it ceases to be sexy then and becomes right. really sad right. so <laughs> there's right. also right. that yeah, the, the allure is gone once yeah. once uh <laughs> like, dude, you're older than my dad, and you're like, like, just doing like just rails of cocaine. Like, what, like, what is going on? Yeah, yeah, it's embarrassing. Um, yeah, and to your point, I, you know, you see, uh, you know, Lars and Kirk like taping up their fingers, and um, you know, I want to, I want to say at some point you used to see Anselmo with a knee brace. Um, I'm maybe thinking of something. I think else. he blew his back out. Yeah, I, think, I see or something the... like that. Yeah. Oh well, yeah, yeah. There was that for sure. Yeah, but I see stuff. I see stuff like that, and I'm like, hey, God bless. Like you said, it's um, yeah. Treat you are you are a professional athlete. <laughs> bringing that bringing that similar that comparison back up, um, and you yeah, you got to take care of yourself that way to deliver what. what right. I mean, even just the rigors of the road of just like, you know, you know, just just touring in general. You know what I mean? You're not like you're not in like a bed. You're in like a metal coffin going like 75 miles an hour down the, down the highway, or yeah. like or you're catching flights every day. You know, getting sleep on like airplanes. Like, um, it's uh, yeah, it's it's tough and it it, it takes a it takes a toll. I know for me, like you know, when I get back from tour, like if I've been out on the month, like you know, touring like in a van or something like that, it's like, you know, when when that when I get to hit my bed finally, I'm like like out you know for for a full day <laughs> yeah yeah or or the tour bus as uh zach wilde calls it the submarine <laughs> yeah um so justice is your favorite record uh, i assume dyer's eve was your favorite song on there um what are some of your other favorite records and tracks um well i mean as far as like it's hard to say like favorite records like because that, that that one's at my top but i mean like i mean obviously i love like puppets um ride the lightning like but like rather than you know rank them like i can maybe just say like a few songs from each of those records like sure like, of course like okay like yeah, battery yeah. obviously right um damage ink disposable heroes like the shit they're just like those like ripping songs that just like super cool riffage aggressive like the lyrics were really cool they like really conjured like some imagery um but then, you know, I also like the thing that should not be because, like, that was, like, the weird kind of, you know, sloggy, sort of slower one, very Lovecraftian, right? So I think that... Yeah, I was going to yeah, say the yeah. Lovecraft song. Um, as far as Ride the Lightning goes, you know, I mean, there's, like, a lot of, like, hits on that record, but, like, from, like, you know, Creeping Death and, you know, For Whom the Bell Tolls, right? For me, the, the jammer on that one is Fight Fire with Fire. Like, that one is just, like, such a yeah. ripping ripping song 
Um, and like it's it's one of those thrash songs that like still stands the test of time. Like today, like if I heard like a band like that put that song out like tomorrow, I'd be like, holy shit, I gotta pay attention to these guys. It's just like just really aggressive. Um, and, and, and unique in the riffing. Unrelenting. Yeah, yeah, un- the whole unrelenting. Time. Yeah. Um, I mean, you know, I, I, I love the Black Album. As, as far as, like, a, like, heavy metal record goes, you know, like, that's, like, that, like, made it to, like, the top of the charts and still tops it. Like, yeah, obviously, Enter Sandman's, like, you know, the hit song. They played it, like, fucking sporting events, you know, just to kind of keep tying it back in with that theme. Sad but true. But, like, um, there, there was some cool, like, weird songs in there, like, like um like through the never you know through the never yeah. of Wolf um, and Man. holy yeah, yeah god, god that, that failed. failed holy the now was like another like ripping song um even uh struggle within there's like there was like some really cool like yeah, movie parts yeah. in that record um that record has a lot of swing to it which is not something you would have associated with that right yeah yeah there's a record. bounce to that record yeah. for sure um you know, I think sometimes bands like when they when they start to get like bigger and bigger, like they like I've heard the dude from like Ghost talk about this, but like it's like you're like writing songs like for like for bigger stages, like you're envisioning like what these like how these songs are gonna like translate. Like they're not like club songs anymore; they're like like stadium yeah. songs, and it's like whether again it's consciously or subconsciously like. I think maybe people you start to kind of like write differently, just like knowing like where like the stages that these songs are going to be presented on, right? Are going to be so it starts starts to maybe take on like a different um, different life. But yeah, so yeah, I mean, yeah, it makes se- it makes sense. The sad but true was a riff that you know ended the Soviet <laughs> Union, right? right. <laughs> like, you know, like, like yeah, that's the song that's going to get played when you're in front of a throng of you know. A repressed populace that hasn't been able to right, see rock right. music. I remember that video, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then, like, you know, King Nothing was cool. Like, it kind of reminded me of, like, uh, Inner Sandman sort of mid-pace sort of vibe. Yeah. He even, sa- he even says often every right, right. at the end. So I think I, right, I think right. he knew it, too. Um, but, yeah, I mean, for, for me, like, Justice, Puppets, um, Black Album, Ride the Lightning, those are, like, my... My, like if I could only like just have those records, um, I'd I'd be I'd be happy. I mean like obviously like the like the first record is is sick too, right? You know, kill them all. But like I I feel like it's like like there's an energy to those songs, right? Obviously because like that was like you know the, the, their first like real kind of like you know output like, but I think they just kind of like sharpened the the blades a little bit more on like the the later records and they brought in like maybe more of like an epic kind of quality to their to their writing that i, that I really totally like whereas like like kill em all definitely like still felt like very influenced by like punk and stuff like that so which i appreciate but i just tend to like go for like the really grandiose like epic um metallica shit like more so than like like the stuff that they were doing on the on kill em all but it's still a great record you know? yeah same yeah, it's almost like it's a great record in from a different band in a sense. I was just going to say know? that. Like, almost, it yeah, it feels like, you know, if they, if they had yeah. gone like a different way with it, you know what I mean? Like they it was almost like a turning point like if they if they kind of doubled down more on like the the punky thrash um side of things, like, you know, who knows where that would have um 
Yeah, or if, or if Kill 'Em All had been the only release from a band, and then you know Metallica was a band that started with Ride the Lightning, like Kill 'Em All would still be this like treasured sure, sure. gem. But Metallica probably would have covered thing, you know yeah. one of the songs off Kill 'Em All. You know? <laughs> <laughs> totally. Yeah, and Metallica. Right, 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 <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, yeah. What's interesting about the uh, you know you're talking about some of the epic lyrics and the imagery that a lot of those classic songs create. Um, I feel like Dyer's Eve was the first step towards what the lyrics became afterwards um you know because that was like the first kind of head feel of like i am you know metaphors aside and you know nothing's nothing's hidden or hinted at i'm uh very nakedly putting out my this autobiographical song and then you know the black album yeah. had a bunch more of that you know whether it was the god that failed and unforgiven <laughs> and and then load and reload was pretty much right. nothing but that uh, you know, all the way through. So um, I think that's a, that was an interesting turning point was him sort of opening up and, and transitioning a, a little bit away from the uh, cinematic sort of, you know, storytelling to the personal. And, and I feel like both sides of him as a lyricist are equally strong and equally important. So it's been nice to kind of follow along that journey. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's cool, like you were saying, him being the last track and then um... – you know, with 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 Enter Sandman being more being more narrative, I guess, um, like like, you know, like his personal experiences, um, it was a, a nice little you know, bridge between between the records to kind of leave you off with that, and then yeah, even more personal stuff on the next one. Um, I mean, I remember um, I, I I started reading as in high school uh, Johnny Got His Gun based off of one, yeah, um, and that's nice. such a great book if anyone's um, looking for some reading. I wasn't cool enough to read it. I should probably do that at some point. It did. It did inspire mm -hmm. me to see the movie. Well, yeah, as a, as a, such a Metallica <laughs> fan, it's but, like, yeah. um, it, it's yeah, it, it, it's, it's really palpable. It's such, such a such a gut wrenching, you know, nightmarish book. I mean, you know, the, the the theme. I mean, all you have to do is like, you know, read the read the one lyrics to kind of get like a brief, you know, synopsis of it. But um, I mean, yeah, the whole book basically plays out like inside like a, a dude's mind, like after you know, being like destroyed by a by a landmine um, and like, you know, it's like flashbacks and like, you know, this kind of weird, almost like how like, you know, HBO does those things where like there's like multiple timelines happening at once in some of their shows. Like, that's kind of like how the, yeah. the narration of yeah. the book goes because he's kind of bouncing back and forth between like this like, you know, drugged up dreamlike state where he's like flashbacking to war or to like before the war, you know, or like to happier times. And then like, and then like he's in the present of just like this totally isolated um, hell where he like can't like you know communicate anyway I don't want to spoil the book but it's it's um it's a very uh, very interesting book and I think it was it was you know Metallica borrowing from like you know really great like literary sources also inspired me um, as a musician you know it doesn't always just have to be like you know lyrics that are like you know just trying to string together like you know words that sound angry you know what I mean like you you can can use really good yeah. source material and be inspired by that and kind of come up with your own, um, you know, own, own twist of it or own telling of a story um, that hopefully can kind of like breathe, you know, some, some life into like a particular concept. Right. Um, and then, you know, and then hopefully it kind of like cycles back in and gets other people like into, um, you know, reading some of the stuff that you checked out. Right. And then they might have their own takeaways yeah. from that, or they might, you know, go in a totally different way and, but like I don't know, I know for me like with with that last record that we just put out, like you know certain people were like, oh yeah, like I've never really checked out like any of Lovecraft's 
works before, but like, you know, I, I wanted to, you know, check that out, uh, check out his writings, like based off of like your new That's record. So you know, so. That reminds me of uh, one of my favorite quotes. I wish I knew who said it because I quoted a lot, but uh, some rock journalist at some point back in the day, I remember reading this article and it said, uh, yeah, it was talking about, it was like the satanic panic that was happening around heavy metal and stuff. And it was like, Iron Maiden is much more likely to send a fan running to the library than to right, right. the devil. <laughs> it was like, you know, yeah, they're talking about Alexander the Great and Icarus and uh, Churchill's speech and like all this, like actual historical, you know, the pharaohs. And um, and then, yeah, Metallica by the same turn, uh, you know, Hemingway, the, the Old Testament, um, Lovecraft, like you said, uh, you know, misspelling Cthulhu famously. Um, <laughs> it, you know, yeah, they were uh, putting that stuff in there in a way that made uh you know a teenage thrasher interested in literature and all sorts of things that you may not have come across before and also i think bridge some gaps where maybe people that were coming from more of that sort of background were able to then understand what was going on in metal music when they were able to connect those yeah and i think too. it's important you know what i mean i think it's i think it's important to um you know like i, I think the sometimes like the the, the what I'm looking for. It's like the preconceived notion, right? Like that, like people that aren't into metal is like, oh yeah, you're just like kind of banging your head, like screaming about nothing or whatever. But you know, I mean, so many people that are you know into this genre are like, you know, like really intelligent, um, and and you also have an ability to um, have an effect on like you know a younger generation because let's face it, like a lot of like people that are coming, you know, getting into metal, you know, you're you're like a teenager, you're you're going through like different like sort of changes and like heavy metal for a lot of people is like a very like desirable. Um, outlet and like release like you know probably the most people that are like lifers in metal got into it when they were probably like 13 or 14 right so you know when you're in that like impressionable yeah. um impressionable phase like you've got like kind of like a real opportunity as a musician to kind of you know write about things with substance that can like hopefully like inspire like a next generation to like i don't know go out there and like read a fucking book or something um rather than just yeah. like you know i was uh, I, I was i was reading 1984 Right around the time I heard Jello Biafra sing, you know, welcome to 1984. I'm like, hey, right, right. what he's talking about? <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, it's a lot smarter than <laughs> I think, man. Um, well, uh, quickly, while, while I've got you on the line, yeah, you mentioned uh, some of the Lovecraftian stuff happening uh, in the most recent Revocation record. Um, what's some of your favorite Lovecraft stuff? And what was your, what turned you on to, to H.P. Lovecraft and... Um, where would you where would you send people who have no idea who we're talking about? <laughs> where, where should they yeah, start? Yeah, um, you know, I think like you can you can pick up like a Lovecraft like anthology that has like every story like for for like pretty cheap. Um, and you know, for me, like I, I really liked um, the case of Charles Dexter Ward. That was like a cool one. I mean, he's got so many like great stories. Um, yeah, uh, the Colorado Space. That, that that's a cool one on um, dreams in the witch house um it, it, it kind of like depends on your on your flavor you know like i think sometimes like certain stories of his like like everyone like talks about like at the mountains of madness which is like a cool story but it's like it's like very like um i, I think he has like other one like other better ones out there that are that aren't um yeah less yeah, dense yeah maybe or less you know, uh yeah or or, or like you know, like the classics that everyone knows, like call, you know, like, you know, the Cthulhu, whatever, like, um, yeah, the case of Charles Dexter Ward, Colorado Space, Dreams in the Witch House, Through the Gates of the Silver Key is a, is a cool one. Um, 
There's one that's other, uh, The Haunter of the Dark and Whisper in the Darkness. Those are two great stories. Um, and he's one of those people for, for uh, you know, anyone listening who finds themselves attracted to these troubled figures that, may, you know, whether it's an Axl Rose or, you know, people that make this great music or have made great films or whatever. You know, Lovecraft was definitely one of those uh, genius minds from a very uh, uh, broken and complicated person. <laughs> so, you know, because it's like, yeah, once you start digging into his his life and all of that, it's uh, gets pretty scary and sketchy. And yet the art that he was able to create in spite of and or because of um, some of the things happening in his life and some of his uh, certainly by contemporary standards, very unsavory right, views on course, things. Yeah. Um, it, it, it all, uh, you know, it all came out in this like incredible work that is timeless and lives on and is meaningful and inspires people in ways that he probably could yeah, never imagine. Yeah, I think he wanted to be a, like a chemist growing up initially. So like, you know, he always had kind of a bit of like a scientific, you know, mind. So that just sort of like, yeah, aided in his, uh, in his, in his, in his writings, I guess, like, but yeah, you know, you know, whether it's that or, I mean, there's, I'm constantly finding like different sources of inspiration to, to, um, to write about. So, you know, it's, it's, it's good to, to proactively like, you know, <laughs> read, read books. And, um, it's like in today's day and age, like, I feel like everyone's just so sort of focused on like their, their phone or this or that. And like, you you can certainly get like some good news sources on there, but like, a lot of it's just sort of like entertainment, just like totally to make us like tune out. Whereas like, you know, read, like reading like yeah. you know, a book by like a great author, like it really kind of engages your mind in like a much different way than just like, you know, zoning out watching like something with like the current ashings or something. Yeah. And a, and a lot of even, uh, you know, so-called long reads from reputable um, journalists and media outlets, you know, I, I always kind of chuckle. And I'm just as guilty of it because it, it works on me. But I always kind of chuckle when you see it, when you see an article that, that includes the description. Right, right, read, right. Seven minute read or two minute read. You know, it's like, okay, you're only you're only asking for three minutes. This. All right, I guess I'll, I'll right. read this article. It's like torture yeah, or something. Right. <laughs> <laughs> okay, God, okay. I only have to read for five minutes. Okay, okay. Twist my arm. But Yeah. Um, you mentioned how you how you guys always go into the studio very prepared and of course you know having worked with zeus for a long time as you have also um you know i, I know that uh, from him about your band and about you in particular um is, does that carry over also to the lyrical side or, or is it is that you know are you ultra prepared with the music side and then you kind of save what you're gonna write about for last or how does that process work um, for you i always try to come in prepared with the, with the, with the lyrics for sure. I, I find the lyric writing process to be harder than the music writing process just because, um, mm. you know, music doesn't have to mean, mean anything. Right. Um, whereas like, you know, when you're putting the pen to the paper, like, you know, you, you want to be like, you know, you, you have to write in a specific style for a specific genre. But like, I also really want to try to not be like cliche in like my, my, my writings too. So like it can be, it can be hard to get that initial ball rolling. Um, but I, I, I found for this last one, because I took such like a storytelling approach to a lot of the lyrics, um, I found it to be um, like an, an easier process um, for me than I usually have. So that was, that was cool. But yeah, I mean, it's not like I'm going in there, uh, you know, with a blank 
notebook and then like we're in the studio and I'm like, you know, scrambling to write every day. Like I try to like write lyrics like a little bit every day as I'm leading up to to the uh, to the studio. So maybe like, you know, a couple months prior before we're going in, like once the songs are written, that's when I'll start the the lyric writing process and just like kind of slowly chip away. And my my mind gets like very um, hyper focused on certain things. So like when I'm when I'm writing when I'm really in it, that's like all I'll think about. Like I'll wake up thinking about a riff or like a, you know, a lyric and I'll like think about it throughout the course of the day and I'll go to bed thinking about it until it's like, it's done. So I can get very sort of obsessive over it, which is, I guess, good when you're, when you're, um, you know, in, in that process, it's like, I just kind of can't help it. Um, but the, uh, yeah, the, the, the lyrics for the new one were, came to be pretty, pretty easily, uh, across the board. I mean, there was a, you know, a couple, couple songs where you're like you're maybe stuck on like a pre-chorus or a verse that you have to like kind of keep coming back to but i don't know for me it's kind of fun it's like a puzzle that i'm trying to solve you know like like a poetic puzzle or something where you're like oh cool like this word fits here like this word rhymes with that or like okay if i just change this around it makes more sense in terms of like the story that i'm telling so it's um it's a it's becoming more and more of like a, a, a i guess a a fun process for me but at the same time i guess it's like anything the more you do something the better you get at it or at least that should be the case so i feel like i've kind of found my my voice as a as a lyricist like more and more um, you know over over the past several records um, but i don't i don't write lyrics yeah. first though I, I never do that i always need the music to inspire me in terms of like where i should go with it sometimes i'll hear a song and i'll just be like oh this song should be about this like on the new record, there's the, the track two is that which consumes all things. That's about that Lovecraft story, the color out of space. And you know, as a, a brief, brief synopsis of it, it's basically about like a like a meteor that comes from outer space that like cracks open and like releases this like amorphous like black cloud, but it's like actually like a living entity. So in, in my mind, it was like Lovecraft's like take on a ghost story. But it's like this weird sci-fi, like, you know, amorphous gas that's like alive and like sucking the life out of anything. A anyway, the opening riff to me just like of that song just like sounded like a black cloud. It just it just like felt like there was like a like a like a <laughs> Rad, storm, yeah. like this evil, like foreboding storm on the horizon. And it's like coming in like real quick. And it's just about to like engulf you in this like maelstrom, basically. So so like, yeah, like I, I need the music to like actually like point me in the direction of like what the where the story should should go whereas like a song like vanitas that was like more like introspective um that one's not uh about any uh you know lovecraft story or any literary story it's, it's it was more just sort of me like sort of contemplating like mortality that like i guess you know everyone does at different points in their in their life um and like and it, was just, it was just on my mind my, my grandfather was like in the process of like passing away and like i just had this uh yeah the, just this sort of like foreboding sort of feeling and like you know trying to tackle um the inevitability of you know or, or the, the the finality of of life and death or whatever so um that one came from like a different place because like i feel like the music was 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 pointing me in that direction it was like a little bit more introspective to me rather than like something that was clearly like very um visual like telling like a story i think to add to something you said at the beginning of this uh, train of thought was it's not that music doesn't mean anything. It's more that the music can come to you because it it means something on an emotional, sort of abstract level, and then it's the lyrics where you need to kind of codify and canonize those emotions and, and, and also have it mean something intellectually. Yeah. So 
I think, yeah, that's why, like you were saying, it's um, easier for the music to come first. And it's not that it's any less meaningful, so to speak, but it's that it's because. Well, of yeah, what I say, what I say doesn't guess, have to yeah. mean anything. I, I don't mean that it doesn't inherently have like meaning for people. Um, I, I forget the, the author of the quote, but he was like some philosopher. But he said, like, there's there's two things in the world that don't have to mean anything. One is music and the other is laughter. Um, and so, like, I always just thought that was like kind of interesting. But like you, you, you can it does it's not meaningless but it can you can you can assign whatever meaning you want to it i guess is like the, the point i'm trying to make when you don't have like when you just have the blank canvas of the music like if you're listening to like a symphony right like you know you might listen to like you know beethoven's fifth symphony and like you know you might it might take you to a certain place maybe you like you know maybe you picture like being in a park or something like that or like you know being in a rainstorm or being you know maybe you saw it in a symphony it brings you back to an like at a symphony hall and it takes you back to to that moment but you know there's no you know obviously lyrics to that so it can mean whatever to a million different people maybe you heard it in a movie and it reminds you of that movie right so i guess that's more what i what i meant by by that it can you can ascribe whatever meaning that you want yeah. to it that quote, by the way, is from Emmanuel Kant, who I'm not going to pretend I knew who he was. Uh, yeah, I just okay. It up. But uh, yeah, German philosopher, apparently very uh, yes. influential on on Nietzsche. And, some, and, now, and now I'm like, <laughs> you reminded me to, uh, inspired me to brush up on some of my old Lovecraft stories. And uh, now I'm like, I need to read up about <laughs> Emmanuel Kant because that sounds pretty fascinating for the other podcast that I do that's all about life, death, and mortality and philosophy like you also cool. touched on. I'll have to go on that one. I was going to say, <laughs> we may uh, we may have a two-parter. Sort of, sort of generally speaking, is there anywhere you want to point people to or um, or kind of what's uh, down the road next several sure. months? Um, you know, uh, we, we, we put out our, our latest record, The Outer Ones, um, I don't know, almost probably almost about a year ago, maybe a little bit less. Um, so, you know, definitely check out um, that um i got a new band called gargoyle that um we just put out an ep maybe a couple months back and we're planning on recording a full length with that so stay tuned about that um it's gargoyle with no e at the end so we did that on i need to i need to check that out i saw i, I think maybe uh, you know in prepping for this conversation i saw something about that but i was i'm unaware what is uh what is gargoyle all about and what is it how does it differ from what you do sure yeah it's, it's it's different for sure it scratches um another itch um, gargoyle to me is sort of more inspired by like bands like alice in chains um you know weirder kind of bands like virus um it it, it allows me to do some different stuff so like you know in, in general there's uh you know like the, the biggest difference is like the, the vocal medium is, is where everything is sung rather than um being like primarily like screamed and like and singing sometimes so like just that kind of puts me in a different um, frame of mind, like when I'm when I'm writing, um, you know, thinking about more, like more like melodic vocals over stuff. But the music is like pretty weird and out there. I'm I'm really passionate about it. Um, I'm I'm working with an amazing, brilliant guitar player and vocalist um, named Luke, who's he lives up in Toronto, but uh, he's my 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 co-conspirator and, and and partner in crime. We basically like write you know the material like 50-50. Um, he writes all the lyrics and, and does all the it comes up with all the vocal melodies, so it's kind of cool because I can, with revocation, I'm kind of sort of doing everything with this. I can just sort of focus on sort of just the guitar parts and the arranging, and then I can send off my stuff to him, and um, I'm always very pleasantly surprised uh, by what he's able to come back with, like these really 
great haunting sort of Lane Staley esque uh, you know vocal melodies over certain parts. But he's also he also has his own um, style. You know, I'm just I'm just saying as a point of uh, contact for people that maybe like that. I've heard people say like, oh, this reminds me of, of Allison Chains a bit, but it's definitely got its own thing going. So, um, yeah, that's I'm really passionate about it. It's, we're going to be doing the full length over the course of the next few months, if uh, hopefully if time permits and schedules line up. So, yeah, check it out. We put out a EP. Um, it's on Spotify, you know, or SoundCloud or wherever. I think Google Play and iTunes. Um, it's called Azomatus. It, kind of, it, it almost, in very, very simple terms, it almost sounds like you're deaf and controlled. Uh, yeah, yeah, sure. <laughs> Although I know controlled and I, it sounds like what you're doing is a little more weird. But, um, but yeah, as far as like getting to scratch that other itch. Yeah, so it's just, I don't know, like the the older I get, like I, I think most people associate me with, with, with revocation, which is awesome. That's, that's my baby. But it, it would be cool to kind of, you know, show just like a different different side of my, of my, of my playing style, of my writing style. Um, just yeah, just to scratch on their itch as a as a musician uh, and an artist rather than just like just the guy from Revocation, you know. Yeah, and I think you were about to say oh, you're yeah, also teaching, teaching too, you know. So like I, I I teach when I'm when I'm home from tour, um, you know. People can find my my lessons email like on my my Instagram or whatever. So um, yeah, if anyone ever wants to do online lessons, that's uh that's the other thing that I do when I'm when I'm home from tour. Uh, well, Dave, thank you so much for uh, responding so enthusiastically to the invitation. I was uh, very happy to have you on. So, and uh, Steve Davis is a old and dear oh, friend in this oh, thing of ours, That's as awesome. I like to say. Thanks for having me. Um, you know, it's I, I love these types of, of interviews where they're more, you know, conversational rather than just like sort of answering like the same questions over and over again. So it's 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 really awesome to like have like a have a cool convo. We can really kind of get in depth of a bunch of fun shit. And I love to talk about Metallica, so that's cool. Oh, well, I was going to ask you if you had any crazy stories from tour and if you could explain to me the new <laughs> album title and if you could tell me what it's like being on your label. And if, uh, <laughs> um, yeah, no, I'm, I'm right there with you. It's the whole uh, – that's incredibly gratifying always to hear from an artist because that's um, exactly the space I've set up Great. to create. So that is awesome. Hell yeah. Mission accomplished. Be sure to check out Revocation's latest album, The Outer Ones, produced, mixed, and mastered by my close personal friend Zeus, who worked with the band on their last several records. Also check out David's new band, Gargoyle, G-A-R-G-O-Y-L, no E, which features Luke Roberts from Ayahuasca. You can find me on Twitter at Ryan Downey, on Instagram at SuperheroHQ. You can find Speak and Destroy on Instagram, Twitter, YouTube, Facebook, and at SpeakandDestroy.com. Speak and Destroy is part of the Pop Curse Podcast Network. If you'd be so kind, please leave a five-star rating and a nice little review, as that really does help in terms of visibility for the podcast. As always, you guys have been great, and I've been Ryan J. Downing. <laughs>